final votes are still being counted in the last few House races, but the major outcomes of the 2022 midterm elections are largely known. What do the congressional and state-level shakeups mean for agriculture? That's today on Field Posts. DTN Progressive Farmer podcast that dives deeper into the most important trends in agriculture to explore the business's cutting edge. I'm your host, Sarah Mock. There were a lot of divergent expectations going into the 2022 midterms after a tumultuous year of national and state-level politics. For the agricultural community, the end of the election season means that the 2023 Farm Bill season will be starting in earnest, especially after the new members of the House and Senate Ag Committees are chosen and seated. Here to help us unpack who won, who lost, and what it all means for American Ag is DTN Policy Editor Chris Clayton, who's been keeping an eye not only on key races at the federal level, but also state policymakers that might affect the way ag is governed in key states. We'll talk to Chris about the most important stakes for agriculture and rural America in this election, dig into the biggest surprises, and understand how critical issues are likely to be tackled by new and returning lawmakers. We'll check in on the Farm Bill, Farm Labor Legislation, and EPA's pending moves on the RFS, right after this word from our sponsor. This episode of Field Post is brought to you by the 2022 DTN Ag Summit, this year happening virtually. Here's Katie Dellinger for a little bit more on the agenda and how to register. I'm really excited about this year's Ag Summit. We've got a good lineup of people, including CHS's Gary Halverson. He's really going to speak with us about some of the different risks and uncertainty in the marketplace today, what farmers can do to navigate this environment where things are just incredibly volatile. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he has to say and share. And I'm also really excited about the conversation we're gonna have with former Minnesota Representative Colin Peterson and Kansas Senator Pat Roberts talking about the next Farm Bill and the Farm Bill discussion. I think there's some interesting conversations coming down that pike, especially with the Biden administration and the direction that the Agriculture Department looks like they want to head as far as some of these issues around sustainability. We'll also have a really good session on carbon credits with a farmer or two sharing their experience, as well as representatives from a couple of different companies and projects about how farmers can maximize or at least find a way to see if carbon credits are the right fit for their business and what the right avenue for those might be. And I also want to remind everyone we're doing Ag Summit virtually this year, so there's no need to travel. You can enjoy and partake in all this great content from the comfort of your home, and we look forward to seeing everyone there. Registration is open. It is at dtn.com slash agsummit. You can find all of the details there, including more about what's on the agenda. Visit the website to find out more about how you can attend this year's 2022 DTN Ag Summit. Now, back to the show. DTN Ag Policy Editor Chris Clayton joins us today to put the 2022 midterm elections, which are not, as of today, fully completed, into context for the ag community. Chris, 
I wonder if you could talk a little bit before we get into the results and how things panned out. Why did this election matter for ag? That's a good question. For agriculture, I'm not sure it was as significant for agriculture as it was for other other areas right now. But there's an awful lot going on in ag that will continue to carry on despite what happens with the House and the Senate. Literally, before we started to have our conversation here, there were about a dozen emails in my office about Russians were shooting off some missiles, and one of them has now gone into Poland and killed a couple people. So beyond Ukraine, some missile, who knows what happens, but, but hit Poland, and Poland is a NATO country. The situation with ag, I don't think really was as critical in terms of what happens with the election as it was for everything else going on in the world right now. I don't think that Republican control of the House is going to change energy policy or anything like that in a way that would would improve things for farmers. As far as the election and agriculture, I think the biggest thing, as Colin Peterson has talked about, is that we just continue to see this erosion of, of rule districts represented by Democrats. And that puts less and less Democratic representation on the Ag Committee. So if you look at the House Agriculture Committee now, you already have a lot of Democrats who represent cities, urban areas, Atlanta, Cleveland, Toledo, Boston, other places that they're on the Ag Committee primarily because the Farm Bill is the biggest nutrition program in the country. They're not paying attention much to ARC PLC or crop insurance. They're there focusing on the nutrition title. And and that might be the biggest aspect that affects um, Democrats or agriculture, I should say, is, is this erosion from Texas on up to North Dakota in the plains and Midwest of, of any Democrat on the committee. I guess you have a couple now still left, but we lost a Democrat from Iowa, Cindy Axney, on the committee. She was very focused on biofuel issues and things like that. That was a good Democratic voice to have on those issues, but that'll have to be replaced somewhere. It seems like the House was maybe not the bigger focus in the, again, in like kind of the broader narrative, but when it comes to ag and we think about the House Ag Committee and their expected role in the beginning of a farm bill season that is going to get kicked off in earnest in the coming months. You mentioned Representative Axney. There were some seats that there was concerns about. I think Representative Spanberger from Virginia also comes to mind. She actually kept her seat. But talk about how obviously elections for and the appointments to these committees are not complete yet, but given where things are now, do you expect things to be shaken up a lot on the House Ag Committee or do you expect things to be pretty ordinary? I think we saw that there are going to be at least 10 to 12 changes on the committee as of right now. There are like 46 members, I want to say, on the committee at the moment. Don't quiz me on all their names, but I think they're like 46 members. You're going to see 10 to 12 of them at least go. We had a few retirements. We had some Republicans that retired or lost in the primaries or tried to run for Senate. Vicki Hartzler did and, and lost her race in Missouri for the U.S. Senate. So she's, she lost her district essentially. From both parties, there's going to be some shakeup in membership. Certainly, though, there are going to be more changes on the Democratic side, probably than the Republican side. However, the Ag Committee, sometimes for some lawmakers, 
they don't stick with it. Maybe they get an opportunity to go to appropriations or energy and commerce, and and they give up the seat, give up the seat. There are a handful of guys on the appropriations committee, for instance, who used to be on the ag committee. You wouldn't be surprised maybe if some of these Republicans as well, who might have an opportunity to move to appropriations or ways and means or something like that, might also uh, go ahead and jump. But, but there's still going to be a core group of, of the old timers on both parties that, that are going to be there and stick around and continue to David Scott, Costa from California on the, and I suspect probably Jim McGovern will probably stick around on the Democratic side, the Republican side. There's probably about 15 of them or so that will that will easily remain on the committee. So there'll be a lot of changes, but I think you'll also see a lot of freshmen herded into the committee uh, from both parties. There has been a ton of talk about how close both the House and the Senate obviously are going to come down to one or two votes in or one or two seats in either direction. The House maybe not as much, but still tight, much tighter than we've had in a long period of time. I wonder, we've talked in the last couple of months about the likelihood of a passed farm bill in the next two years seems low. Does the idea of a more evenly divided House or Senate make it seem more likely or less likely that there could be a farm bill in the offing in the near future? I think it's going to be less likely in in the coming term, but... um... Uh, everybody's talking about it. The Senate Agriculture Committee had a hearing today on, on rural development and, and renewable energy uh, in the Farm Bill. They're moving forward, but the House is supposed to take leadership on this next Farm Bill. And and just be just first of all, just given the, the newness, the new members of the committee, uh, they're going to have to get a co- caught up to speed. Glenn Thompson, G.T. Thompson, who will be the chairman of the House Ag Committee, on the Republican side, part of his responsibility is going to be trying to basically hold hearings again, almost recycling some of the hearings we've had in the past year or two, to just to get members up to speed on what each title of the Farm Bill does. So that's going to take time initially right there to get moving. But I think the, as it looks, with Republicans taking control, even by a couple of seats, they are going to want to, as they call it, to have oversight. So they're going to want to hold hearings in each committee where they bring in people from the Biden administration and just ring them out for whatever it is that they want to ring them out about. And then USDA, it'll be the climate smart spending money, using a CCC funds for that, stuff like that. And I think it if you've seen just already the the arguments and the, the battle about who is going to who is going to be the leadership in the House and which various caucus within the Republican side is going to have influence, I think at least in 2023, I think it's going to be like herding cats in the House. You're going to have 435 cats, and maybe 35 of them are only going to be able to go with the direction that you might want to go on something. I, I think getting, I just think. Any real meaningful legislation out of the House of Representatives over the next year is going to be really impossible. And maybe even more realistic on the Senate side in terms of it being unlikely. The Senate side is going to be throwing their hands up in the air going, I don't know what we do over here. I just think that the the, the two parties in the House become more and more to the left and right each cycle. 
and and when you know they're not going to have the presidency they're going to have barely a majority and they're not going to be able to lean on the senate to pass what they pass so what is the what are the priorities going to be for the republicans in the house and we don't even know that i, I do not know what coming in in january what mccarthy or anybody in the republican leadership would say this bill is our biggest priority or these three or four bills nobody has spelled out anything like that so i think that they're going to spend half of next year just trying to figure out what their own priorities are uh, moving forward they're going to have to deal with trump the biggest wild card in politics is going to be announcing his president run again and and whatever the house of representatives passes with the republican majority is probably going to have to pass muster with whatever trump thinks is okay or not so a lot of uncertainty there in the future talk a little bit about on the senate side do you expect obviously the senate did not actually in the end seats wise swing very significantly do you expect the senate ag committee to look pretty much as it has over the last two years or do you expect shifts on the senate ag side they'll have to bring in some new membership as well um Patrick Leahy is retiring. Peter Welch, who was a congressman from Vermont, took his seat. I suspect Welch would probably be welcomed and probably take a seat on the Ag Committee, but I'm not sure what specifically his priorities will be on that. On the Republican side, um, got the you've got the guy from Missouri, Schmidt. I don't think that he's really, quote, an Aggie per se. And we don't know what, obviously, what's going to happen with Georgia. And uh, Senator Warnock is a member of the committee, whether he will uh, take a seat. Ted Budd, the guy from North Carolina, he was a congressman, now going to be a senator. He has some agricultural background in his history, grew up on a farm, and his dad ran an agribusiness. Unfortunately, this agribusiness aspect of his dad's business went bankrupt and a bunch of farmers lost out on that so i don't think they he is all that too hyped about joining the ag committee i could be wrong uh the other guy you might watch would be ted young from from indiana he's he might be a guy that they recruit to to join the ag committee beyond that i think it's going to be a lot of status quo in the in the senate to side because they didn't flip like i said other than a couple of seats the the georgia race will matter just in terms of whether democrats get one more seat or republicans make it a 50 50 situation i don't see herschel walker joining the ag committee but but who knows he may he may take up that that mantle so i think as you look at all of the members of the ag committee on the senate side and a lot of them are pretty influential from dick durbin to john Thune, they're all going to probably remain very much the same and and stay in the same lanes they've been in for a while I wonder if you can talk to, I, there was obviously a lot of focus during this midterm on kind of the state level. I think Iowa had, saw some big changes with that I'm sure you can update us on. Maybe there's a little bit more of a sense that some of those state level races could have more of an impact on or an impact on key issues in, in certain states. I wonder, were you watching any state level elections closely for how they might impact ag? I think probably the biggest that jumps out to me in terms of governor's races in that regard would be Nebraska elected Jim Pillen as governor, Republican. Pillen is, I think, number-wise, 
He's the biggest pork producer, pork farmer in Nebraska. I haven't counted the heads lately, but he was certainly the biggest at one time and probably remains that way. And so he's come in with very much a lot of serious social conservative credentials, but he's also a business person and a uh, pork producer. And, and it'll be curious to see how he governs in the state. There's a real weird balancing act that you have in states like Iowa, Nebraska, South Dakota, where they want to push really hard at the state level and focus on issues like border security and immigration control. But these states also have huge packing industries. And this is going back a ways and dating me, but, but back in the late 90s, Immigration Customs Enforcement raided a bunch of packing plants in Nebraska. Cattle prices crashed overnight, and the state officials were the ones that lost their minds over this in Nebraska that this happened. It might not be that they cared about the particular individuals who got arrested. They got mad because it shut down the packing plants and it caused cattle prices to crash. So you walk this fine balance in these states about how much do you really want to push immigration issues in this state, given that you have your entire cattle and pork industries rely heavily on the workers that are working in those packing plants. How do you end up governing and walking that line, just wanting to show your uh, you know, red meat conservative and you want to stop the border uh, issues and immigration, yada. But if you get too carried away, your biggest industry in the state and all those cattle producers that support you get hurt in the process as well. It's, it's an interesting uh, balance, but that was probably the race I was watching the closest. The governor of Iowa was reelected, Kim Reynolds, no big race there. The governor of South Dakota, Christy Nome was elected. Not a big challenge there, but uh, those were probably the governor races. I guess I was probably watching the closest, just simply because those are the areas that I live in. Areas, so yeah, I think they that probably also the ones that make have the biggest potential to affect. I probably the most ag with individual state policies. Yeah, I would say so, but I didn't hear a whole lot of ag issues in a lot of the races. It was weird. We had, um, you know, marijuana legalization on the ballot in a handful of states, one in Missouri, which was kind of maybe a little surprising, but I think it lost in North Dakota, South Dakota, Arkansas. So it was an interesting balance there. But specifically on agriculture, not a whole lot really jumped out on the race. Harry Lake, the woman who just lost in Arizona, she was one of those, or is one of those people who thinks that maybe the way to solve water problems in the West is to tap the Mississippi River. And it'd be interesting to see how that discussion happens going forward, because I don't think it's going to go away. I think the Western states will look at every means possible, and they will look at the Missouri and Mississippi Rivers with a little envy. And so that discussion won't go away, but I think it would be a long, huge, massive battle to uh, run pipelines or a uh, canal project from the Missouri River or the Mississippi River all the way out west to Arizona or California. I appreciate that you mentioned there wasn't a lot of big ag issues or ag policymakers on the ballot. There's so much going on in the world right now, it's hard to imagine that 
five-year bill or making big changes to agriculture is top of many people's agenda. I'm, I was curious if there were any big surprises on your end as you were watching different races come in and different elections be called. What stood out to you as someone who's seen a lot of elections and has been tracking this stuff for a long time? What jumped out at you as maybe not going as you expected? I think Spanberger, first of all, was the, that was the race that kind of told everybody maybe this isn't going to be quite the red, red wave everybody expected. But I think that I don't know is enough about Florida politics, but I'm surprised that the at how dominant Republicans have become in Florida and how much they have won and really taken that state from being purple to being being red. And Iowa now, where I live, has gone from being purple to being very red as well. So the race I was probably watching the closest because I was barraged with ads every night on television anyway. You just couldn't escape it unless you watched Netflix or something. But it was this Congresswoman Axney's race against Zach Nunn. And, and that was a very close race, but... but Axney ends up losing. So Iowa, for the first time, maybe in a very long time, I haven't looked back at the history books fully, but at least as long since that I'm familiar with, is now completely Republican at almost the state and federal level. Tom Harkin was a senator and congressman in Iowa for a very long time. There was always one, two Democratic Congress people from from Iowa. Now it's all four districts are Republican. That that conservative push in the in the Midwest and Plains has has continued to to move from Missouri on up to to Iowa. And Angie Craig, for a while there, I was I thought she was going to lose. She ends up winning by about five points. But in in Minnesota, it was interesting race to see some of these because. The races I was watching most closely were these two-term Democrats on the Ag Committee. There were seven or eight of them. They all got swept in with the midterms in 2018 when Democrats had a big push. How would they fare? And it was about 50-50. You had the Spanberger, Craig, Sharice Davids from Kansas all held their ground and won. But you had Axney and a few others that ended up losing. So... But those were the races I was watching most closely were those. There's a block of two-term Democrats from on the Ag Committee that all of them were in toss-up races. Let me ask you, as you look ahead to the next couple of months, obviously we have a, an outstanding Senate race, uh, the runoff in Georgia. We're still calling a couple of house, a couple of last house races probably over the next few days, but I'm curious what you will be watching most carefully over the next few months before the new Congress. Is it leadership elections, which you mentioned? Is it the announcement of platforms of the of the parties as they settle into new roles? What do you think will be the most important thing for ag and ag policy going forward to keep track of over the next couple of months? First, just what happens with commodity prices and, and fertilizer prices. And we've gotten some ominous warnings that fertilizer prices are not going to be not going to be coming down anytime soon. But you always have the risk of uh, commodity prices coming down. And um, and I think if there's one thing that could really dictate and get truly get a farm bill moving in 2023, it's if we have some sort of black swan crash in commodity prices. We're certainly not there. Looking at crop prices today on the CME and the cash prices that the farmers are getting, 
Uh, we're definitely not there at the moment. So things are looking really good in terms of prices. The input prices are still very expensive, but, but the commodity prices for corn, wheat, soybeans, et cetera, are doing really well. But what does that look like in December when we get a better idea of what the Brazilian crop is going to look like? That sort of thing. The war in Ukraine is is the ultimate kind of black swan at the moment. We just don't even know what's going to be happening there. The grain embargo or the grain deal out of the Black Sea is supposed to expire here very soon. Are they going to be able to keep that open or not? All of those things, I think, factor into kind of what happens with policy. But in Congress itself, um, yeah, what will be the agenda that was it McCarthy or who's going to be the leader in the House? What's the agenda going to be in the early session? Any chance that for some reason Glenn Thompson does not get to be chairman? Of the Ag Committee, does somebody else want to make a run at that at that seat and and further disrupt things. So because as you talk and move about the idea of, of a 2023 farm bill, Thompson and, and whoever's working with him closely on the Ag Committee, the budget score on that on the next 10 year budget score on the farm bill will be something like $1.3 trillion. Um, and uh, we know it doesn't really cost that much, but that's how the budget score works over over ten year score. It'll be about one point three trillion. And this is Scott, where I think that it's going to be very difficult to get a farm bill passed in twenty twenty three. Is I don't think as smooth as maybe the Republican caucus might be able to run things. They're not going to want to pass a one point three trillion dollar spending bill for programs that people would perceive from the outside as maybe helping Biden. Farm bill programs are established and passed. And would that help Biden leading into a 2024 election or not? I think that's the big hook there with, with ag policy. The midterms ended last week and we're already in the presidential cycle. But the idea that the Republicans could agree upon a, a one point to $1.3 trillion farm and nutrition spending bill that would pass the Senate, that would pass and be signed by the president, I, I think is, is very doubtful. So maybe, but if we had a agricultural crisis or something of that nature, maybe they, maybe that force, unfortunately, you, you don't want to see something like that happen. I'd rather just see them extend it out extend out the farm bill and if there's no pressure from producers to get a farm bill passed they'll just look for an extension so the farm bill is obviously i think when people think policy in ag that is where their mind goes first but i wonder if you are keeping an eye on other policy issues right now i know we've done a lot of talking the last five years or so about the RFS. We've talked about regulation and what that looks like on the EPA side, what it looks like at USDA. Obviously, USDA has been spending a lot of money. You mentioned climate smart grants. I'm curious what other policy issues you're going to be keeping track of beyond what Congress has will be acting on over the next couple months. In the lame duck, we're still kind of waiting to see, is it possible at all that the U.S. Senate would pass the Farm Worker Modernization Act, reforming H-2A program and allowing for year-round agricultural guest workers, which the dairy guys and the uh, hog producers and I guess basically everybody in livestock has been clamoring for to 
to to get something passed that would because uh, if it doesn't pass in the lame duck that's right now there are like the united farm workers union and others are in dc this week trying to get to support in the senate to, uh, to pass that bill it would take 60 senators to pass seems almost an impossible task but you have a couple of republicans who've been working on this pretty hard as well senator crapo especially from idaho where he has a lot of larger dairy producers he's been one that's uh, been in the forefront that's all that i'm kind of watching to see in the lame duck that excuse me a uh, guest worker reform bill pass and because if it doesn't pass it, we probably set another 10 years before you get another opportunity to do it again, because the last time you had an immigration bill that passed one chamber that didn't pass the other was, uh, was 2010. We'll, we'll see if uh, the immigration reform bill can for agriculture can move forward in the lame duck. That's the bill I'm watching mostly. As, as far as RFS, that is mostly at the moment in the hands of EPA because and EPA is now starting to be behind crap now that I think about it it's November they're supposed to come out sometime in November this month with their guidelines for how the RFS is going to work in 2023 and beyond and we haven't seen that blueprint yet they had a, a suit a consent decree with growth energy on the fact that they would move forward with this RFS. And I was there at a meeting with when Michael Regan spoke, the EPA administrator spoke to Growth Energy back in September about that. Here we are in, in mid-November, and I haven't really heard much recently, but that's going to be the thing when it comes to biofuels, uh, what happens with EPA and the RFS set. And then I think longer term, the Inflation Reduction Act had a lot of money in it for biofuels in terms of converting biofuels that we have now for aviation fuels. And that's going to take some time, but that's going to be the real growth market for biofuels going forward is, is aviation. And uh, if, if it's ethanol or biodiesel, renewable diesel, however, the industry decides to go forward there, that's going to be a tremendous market for biofuels going forward, but they're just not there yet. But they got a lot of money now, and it's been passed in law. They really can't pull it back at the moment, you know. Any other stories you're working on that you want to plug for listeners to that they should look out for in the coming weeks? I think probably in the coming weeks, they mostly want to look out for the DTN Ag Summit for 12th and 13th. Registration is uh, on that. Colin Peterson will be one of the people, uh, and Pat Roberts will be talking about where they think the farm bill could go next year. So that will be the exciting thing for us in the next couple of weeks is that. I'm going out to D.C. the week of December 5th. I figure if there's any good fighting in a lame duck session, maybe that week would work out really well for me. Going to go out there and see what, what is getting done. And that also is the sixth is the um, Georgia runoff. Ideally, if the votes are tallied quickly, we'll know by the end of that week where Georgia sits and what happens with Senate leadership there. And we may know a lot more, obviously, on just where the House committees are, are going to be going in 2023 as well. You can read Chris's extensive reporting on all things ag policy at DTNPF.com or in the monthly DTN Progressive Farmer magazine. 
This episode of Field Post was brought to you by the team at DTN Progressive Farmer, with special thanks to Chris Clayton. This episode was produced and edited by me, Sarah Mock, with support by Greg Hillier and Kylie Swanson. And a big thanks to all of you for listening. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And until next time, remember, the future of farming is here. Today's episode is brought to you by MyDTN. In today's environment, it's essential more than ever to get the most current and accurate information to help save your valuable resources and continue to be profitable. Get access to all the information you need to deal with this change from DTN. As the leading independent trusted source of actionable insights and market information, MyDTN gives you accurate weather forecasts, the most extensive database of grain bids, and the most timely news and analysis from our award-winning news team. These features and more are available 24-7 via desktop, laptop, and any mobile device to be with you on the go. Learn more at mydtn.com and start a free 14-day trial. Now, back to the show.